This season, Handcut Radio is sponsored by Thomas Mason, an historic British textiles brand which is owned and protected by the Albini Group. Dating back to 1796 and founded in the town of Nelson, Lancashire, Thomas Mason has long specialised in luxurious, superfine shirting fabrics, which are known equally for their quality, design flair and textile innovation. From the invention of Zephyr in 1818 to the company's pioneering work in the traceability of cotton today, if you like to have your shirts made, Thomas Mason is the cloth to ask for. Huge thanks to the Thomas Mason team for making this season possible. Now, on with the show. Hello, 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 lovely people, and welcome once again to Handcut Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fetkovich. This week, we're chatting to one of the coolest cats in New York, Fred Castlebury, whose eponymous brand you'll doubtless know. F.E. Castlebury's maximalist, retro, almost dreamlike aesthetic is a thing to behold, as is the way that Fred has built a world around his product with bold and at times bizarre campaign imagery. I wanted to find out how he's done it. In this episode, we talk about Fred's many and various influences, which range from film directors to art thieves, why he creates characters for his campaigns, and how, as a, quote, fashion kid, it's healthy to experiment with different parts of your own identity. As always, I really hope you enjoy this one. Let's get into it. Fred, Fred Castlebury, here we are in your atelier at last after, what, two, three years of trying to get here. Um, absolutely delighted to be sat here uh, in the world, in the universe of Effie Castlebury. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you guys here. Thank you, man. Um, and I, I think it's very appropriate that we're in your studio because one of the things I wanted to sort of get into with you is we're going to kind of go all around the houses with this. I want to hear about your background and what you're working on and all these different kinds of things. But I also wanted to talk to you a bit about kind of brand building and dream making and how you have built the F.E. Castlebury Mm. universe physically and digitally. Um, So we'll come on to that. But first, let's start with a little bit of context. Where did the idea to launch your own brand come from? It was something that I had the seeds of in back in 2011. And then, you know, I was publishing this, uh, the style blog back then that eventually led to me getting this um, conceptual design position at Ralph Lauren. Yes. So once I... Once I took that position and moved to New York from Texas, I put I had to put a pin in the idea of, of doing this this eponymous kind of label that I was kind of milling about uh, in my head. And and then um, after that time at Ralph, which was very very short, I was I was working on that brand rugby, mm-hmm. and nobody really told me that I was uh, boarding a somewhat sinking ship. Right, and so. It's the thing that got me to New York, and it was my first kind of corporate fashion experience. Uh, After that, I wasn't exactly hireable. Mm. You know, 12 months at 
at, at Ralph Lauren. So in did a you position. join just as they were killing the brand then? Nobody knew that they were going to kill the brand, but oh, yeah. yeah, it was. The, I, I joined, and then a year later, that was it. it was done. That's pretty frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a this was a this was a dream job for me. Mm. I, I couldn't believe it was. I honestly couldn't believe it was happening. Getting to move to New York and and getting to do this job and like and not only work in corporate fashion for the first time, but at a at a brand like Ralph Lauren, which is like the American, yeah. the American fashion house, you know. Yeah, yeah. that is incredible. But can we just jump back a bit because my humble teenage origins were as a star blogger. You evidently had the same idea. You sort of initially were writing about this world and and tuning into it. What was it called? That blog was called Unabashedly Prep. Love it. So it was a very specific point of view that uh, I had started in 2008 at a time whenever this prep kind of trend was coming back around. Mm. Like 2006, 2007, the sartorialist was like kind of introducing all of us to street style. Right, and and it feels like we're starting to pay attention to menswear as its own thing. Yeah, for really the f- what felt like to me the first time, like we're really menswear's kind of coming into its own. Yeah, and you had these. Well, we, yeah, we were entering hashtag menswear, weren't we? Yeah, I suppose. There was Tumblr this, was going nuts. And... Yeah, men were like starting to pay attention to clothes. Mm. Uh, I'm sure they've, you know, in my limited context they were either starting to pay attention to clothes for the first time or again. But you had people like Michael Bastian putting out these extremely strong, like really beautifully preppy Mm -hmm. collections for his like namesake label. Um, You had like these wonderful brands like Gant Rugger coming, you know, everyone was kind of pushing this beautiful thing and Brooks Brothers Black Fleece was being done and, Mm -hmm. and Tom Brown had been hired to do that. It was it was a nice little renaissance, and and so I was curious about um, learn not only learning about all of this stuff, uh, kind of a new in terms of the, the 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 preppy segment of that, but I thought I would love to. I'm interested in in creating a blog that it's it's like the Wikipedia for preppy style. Yeah, you know, if you want to know something about it, like maybe you you learn something here. Yeah, as well as I'm learning as well. That's, that was the joy of it, wasn't it? I did the same thing, but for Savile Row, basically. I geeked out about Savile Row for about three years. Yeah. And then somehow landed a job at the rake off the back of it. Um, of course you did, because then you had become some sort of, um, you know, real passionate expert in that in that. Yeah. It's good. It's category. good to be a geek. It's yeah, good yeah. To be a geek. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, okay. Thank you. That was that was fascinating to kind of get a bit of context there because I didn't know that's where you started. Let's jump forward a little bit again on the timeline. You lose the Ralph Lauren job. You yeah. Know, shit. What next? Yeah. Um, I had photography as a skill to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably didn't panic as much as the other people because. I had been working for myself a year prior to that, yeah. making my living as a as a photographer, um, shooting fashion and lifestyles, and, and I thought, you know, I took a little while to like figure out what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to do Effie Castleberry, but I didn't know where I was going to start with that. Yeah, you know, I, I initially started with maybe I'll do accessories. 
because I was working with the accessories team at rugby. You know, my boss at the time had put me on that team a little bit to kind of provide a male voice on a two female team doing the accessories. And so, you know, I thought maybe I'll do that. And, and the reality was I got too, it wasn't exciting enough for me. It was also a lot of work, like developing 10 accessories, belts, you know, uh, whatever. Like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. The, the production side of it, I wasn't completely used to. I was more of a conceptual designer. Mm-hmm. I was getting bogged down in the like minutia of, Here's of a belt buckle. This finish is not quite right on this belt buckle. Yeah. We need to, you know, do a fifth pass at this. It just wasn't moving fast enough for me. And also, I started realizing if I am going to show this belt, what am I going to show it with? Mm. You know, I'm I'm such a head to toe kind of thinker in terms of. Uh, the impact of the aesthetic of yeah. something that that I felt like I would be turning people off if I showed it too specifically. Um, so I eventually got to the place where I, I recall when I was at, at Ralph Lauren, the, the most I got excited about clothes was when we would go over the suiting swatches and figure out which swatches were going to be sports coats for that season, which swatches were going to make suits and which mm. ones would be better suited towards this and that. And I just got so uh, turned on and lit up by the the cloth, the pattern, the texture, the hand feel, all that, uh, that, that it just finally clicked about three years later that I need to start with tailored clothing. Right. And that will allow me to develop a head to, to ankle or a, a neck to ankle look from the jump. And then I can go back and do accessories. Nobody's going to buy a $3,000 suit from a guy who started off making belts. Yeah. But you will buy a belt from a guy who started making a $3,000 suit. So that was another strategic thing I thought about was like, I want to be, I want to build this brand around the suit uh, and, and the love for it, but not be bound by it. Mm. And I thought made to measure was the best way to do that because you don't have to carry inventory. You can make things uh, one off, and and so that was kind of me working within the constraints I had, which was little to no money to really do this. And I also needed time. Made to Measure gave me time to like build a world, build an audience, yeah, and you know, basically work with one client at a time to you know move towards a, a more you know, a, a more secure financial footing um, instead of just dumping thousands of dollars into ready-to-wear inventory yeah. and going, oh, okay, how do I sell it? How do I sell this? Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm already fascinated in the way you're talking about this because it sounds like from the outset you did something that not all, um, not all people in custom menswear think to do, not all business people, which is you kind of went, I know I need to build a world. For this stuff to sell, I have to build a universe. There has to be a narrative, you know. There has to be storytelling. You kind of that that was. It sounds like that was always there. Yeah, I mean, that's really that's that's my superpower. You know, like that's that's what I, that's why I was hired at Ralph is because my boss saw something in me mm. that alluded to that. It was a, it was in a very raw form, um, but the blog unabashedly prep kind of gave him some clues as to what 
potential I possibly had because the blog was kind of its own little world. It was a very specific point of view. You know, people may not like what you do, but they do appreciate a singular point of view. That's his thing and he's doing it very well. Yeah. Um, I would never wear those clothes, but like I get what's happening here Mm. and it feels rich. It feels textured. It feels real. Um, yeah, so I, you know, whenever I started doing Made to Measure, that was kind of the, that was just a thing. It wasn't a strategy or anything. That's just, that's just how I move through the world. It's how I see the world. I, I, I'm very much influenced by cinema. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're watching beautiful cinema, you're in someone else's world for two hours. And I thought, you know, that's something that unique that I can bring to this Made to Measure space where, most people are referring to themselves as tailors. I didn't want to be known as a tailor. I was I was more of a designer mm. uh, and, a, and a creative director per se. And so, you know, that's kind of what I always thought I wanted to do and how I was going to do it. And it was a very slow beginning. Yeah. But the more I got to know, the more I got, the more I dove into my influences and references. The, the better it started to feel for me. Interesting. Well, let's... I want to talk about influences and references, so let's just come back to that in a few minutes. Where, I also wanted to ask, where did the creating of the world start for you? Was it with the very first sort of studio lookbook? What was the first piece you kind of put out that you felt like, yeah, this is making sense now? Or was there some lifestyle imagery at the start? You know, I think the... The look, the first lookbook that I shot was with a friend of mine named Alex Bay. And from the jump, Alex was somebody that mutual friends had said, you guys should, should meet and, and reconnect. We had met some years before. But Alex is a writer, director, actor who lives in L.A. And so from the jump, I was serendipitously working with uh, the type of person that I wanted to create clothes for. Like, I, wa- I want to be making clothes for the creative class. The writers, the directors, the artists, the, you know, the musicians, the art directors, you know, those the people that don't have to wear suits, they want to wear suits. Uh, so he brought just a ton of life to that lookbook mm. uh, in his mannerisms. And, and I had some experience photographing uh, actors uh, and, and personalities before coming in, into fashion. And so I knew what kind of, I knew what they brought to the camera and it was a personality, it was a character. Uh, and the more experienced they were, the more characters they had to pull from in terms of what an editorial shoot might look like. Yeah. And so he brought a lot of that stuff to life. And, you know, I have to say that there is just something really beautiful about naivete and just not knowing what you don't know and it not paralyzing you to trying stuff. And so, you know, we shot that lookbook and and it kind of brought that to life. And then I think, you know, I think whenever I kind of latched on to this vehicle that I wanted to tell stories through, Art has always been a big part of um, my association with with fashion, and it's a, a very personal interest of mine. And and so the brand was always going to have all of that stuff in it. But 
I remember going to Paris and uh, another friend of mine, Alex, he wanted to, he, he, he was running a boutique in a nightclub and that nightclub was going to be called Le Serpent de Plume, The Feathered Serpent. Uh, and it's quite a, quite, a, quite a fashionable little nightclub at this point now. But when he first started, he had a boutique that he wanted to have uh, pajamas and, and a little bit of tailored clothing in it. And he had reached out to me because of uh, uh, he had seen the blog or, or whatever from years before. And he said, would you ever consider uh, making a, a ready-to-wear line uh, for this boutique? And I thought, you know, absolutely. We, after a phone call, I felt like we were kindred spirits. And, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to, to do ready-to-wear on a small scale that not many people would see. So yeah. if there were some mistakes, which there inevitably are going to be, they wouldn't be like all over the place. It wouldn't be like super well-known. So we did that for him. I went to Paris to kind of help support, uh, build out the window for him, help merchandise the product a little bit. And it was whenever he and I were together that, uh, now he also works and specializes in pre-Columbian art. Wow. So he's a little bit of a, a buyer uh, for, a, for his boss in, in that regard. And so there was a, we were surrounded by a lot of art at, at this boutique. And, and, we, and it was at that point that we just came up with this art heist narrative that uh, you see this photo of me and him carrying away this, this large-scale painting of uh, a dame or a madame uh, and she's sort of in some bondage gear on a chaise lounge, and she has this dog uh, next to her with, you know, a little bit of a. He, he's a little excited. Indeed, yeah. His lipstick. Sounds. So I, you know, I called it uh, dog with lipstick. Um, <laughs> Which, that's, that's not what it's called. Now that that is my favorite image you've produced that I've seen. That was such a fun, and and that may have never come about had Alex and I not been in the same room together and, and looked at this. And, and we also did a couple others where we um, tied him up in the back of a Mercedes yeah. with rope, you know, and, and we just had this, he brought this little, he brought this like black sheep sensibility to where my head was already going. And so from that, I kind of continued to carry that narrative and, and obsession with like, I started diving into real art heists and, and getting fascinated with these stories and then started reinterpreting some of those in, in later photo shoots that I would do. And um, it, it, I just think I'm so glad we've kind of got onto this organically because my next question was going to be sort of how did you, how do you get into producing sort of campaign imagery based around faux art heists, you know, like dry, right <laughs> art heists. But it's, yeah. but it's clearly it's quite organic, which yeah. is wonderful. Yeah, it was... Um, Exactly. I, it, and I would say that's like a lot of what you would end up seeing from what I do. I, I think these things come from a genuine place of interest and curiosity. And, you know, I'm always reading some sort of book about some heist or some real life uh, situations. And all those things provide ins inspiration for like character development. Mm. Um, which is another thing I'm sure that would be we might touch on later. But like when I develop a look for a specific character, I'm I'm welcoming that character into my world and trying to come up with a specific uniform for that person. Um, well, let, that, let's get into that now because that fascinates me. So you think of sort of 
the the individuals in your campaigns and all lookbooks as characters consciously you treat them as characters yeah i think it helps me wrap my head around the uniform right you know one of one of the bigger influences in in my work would be like wes anderson's films mm-hmm. and he'll often have a character live in a uniform for the entire film right and so i i think like that like if i'm going to develop a uniform for 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 this person um, what does that look like? And, you know, most really recently, uh, I turned 40 last year and I don't know if it was this midlife crisis I was starting to have, but on cue, now granted it, it was also probably spurred on by this pandemic and, and, and all that stuff. But it was almost like as, as I turned 40 on cue, it's like cue midlife crisis, question everything. <laughs> Where, what am I doing? Where am I at? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and I also thought I, I hadn't worn black in 20 some odd years, mm. but all of a sudden I started to feel this pull toward, I want to wear a black shot perfecto biker jacket. Like I just, I've been, I've been in tailored clothing for a decade. Like I need to feel something. I need to feel a little rock and roll in this thing. And, and so that was a thought. I went and contacted the, the people at shot and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Which model should I start with? Because you guys have so many beautiful models. We finally settled on this uh, kind of updated slimmer fit horse hide. I knew I wanted horse hide because of yeah. the way it just rolls in the creases. Yeah. And so I get this thing on and, and I tell you, Alex, I, I have not encountered a sexier piece of clothing than a shot perfecto Parker jacket but I said how am I going to wear this thing and have it make sense because I certainly want to like show it and fold it into my world but it has to be worn with some sort of Effie Castleberry tailored clothing like that's the thing that's gonna that's the tie that binds yeah right so I ended up workshopping that jacket for like 21 days in a row and figured it out and you know was wearing black for the first time and and it was a new experience for me it felt cool it was a you know it was kind of tinkering with my identity a little bit you know i kind of had these maxims out there for the brand like you know we believe that black is for burials black tie and butlers you know really just encouraging guys not to wear a black suit yeah because you kind of end up looking like a doorman um but there's always exceptions and so I've, I, I just kind of leaned into that and, and figured out I could wear this. I figured out I would wear this black perfecto with tuxedo trousers, a band tee underneath, and that was kind of like the found the foundations of that that rig, and and these rings that I have these skull knuckle dusters. Um, I had developed these before I thought about that, but this was always kind of for that that. That Vi- edge, sort of that villain or the muscle, yeah. uh, villain con- character. For context, listeners, Fred has one on each finger, so we've got four glorious silver knuckle duster yeah. rings, and I've got a set for the other hand too. And so <laughs> it was kind of like I wore both of those, and then it was like, okay, now I feel like, I, now I feel like the muscle for the film I'm thinking of in my head, where this guy's going to go in and and take this art or or take somebody hostage or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely uh, awesome to hear you sort of talk like this. It's fascinating to me. So I've got loads of thoughts sparking now. One is, do all all these different characters have names? 
Do you name the characters? I have a running uh, I have a running note in my phone of character names that I'm consistently adding to, right. updating. You know, when I go to museums, when I go to the Met, and mm. I look at all the donors lists, I'm I'm looking at some of those things for inspiration. Yeah, wicked. Uh, but, I've got a book back here called Doomed and Famous. And these are real life obituaries of characters on the outskirts that would never be fit for the New York Times. Right. And these stories are really, really crazy and funny, stranger than fiction. Yeah. And and so I'm constantly kind of like ingesting uh, material like that from real real world characters that I that you can never make this stuff up. Yeah. And, and it's so fun to to tinker with that stuff. Uh, absolutely brilliant what a great way to think about campaign imagery and lookbooks is almost to just think it's a film in my head and and I'm going to put it out there with my clothes yeah and you know I think with just the 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 events happening in the real world uh, you know I I like the idea of providing a little escapism Mm. Um, and there's certainly a thread of humor that runs through mm-hmm. a, a lot of what I do, which is, you know, no, I, but it's I, like deadpan. Irreverent is put is is the word I always think of for your stuff. I love it. I think that's a great that's a great description. Here's one for you, um, which is to, I, I'm just sort of wondering is I'm just reflecting on the last sort of few minutes and how you've talked about how this shot jacket and your rings kind of in your own head turn you into a slightly different version of yourself. Do you do you think of yourself as having sort of different? Are there different Effie Castlebury's? Does that make sense? <laughs> or you know, do, when 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 you go home at night and you sort of go, oh my god, I can, can I I can take this off now? Or is it just you know? How do you think about your sort of sense of self in relation to all these? Different I mean, at clothes? this point, I think I have seventeen different personalities, <laughs> um, so I fully embrace the fluidity of of that. You know, I think that's a really interesting question because. I spent a decade, uh, I spent from 30 to practically 40, let's just say, really solidifying an identity for myself visually. Um, and it's the it's this preppy, like, tailored clothing, sportswear... Mashup. Persona. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at somebody like Ralph Lauren, he's 77 or something at this point, and... You know, he created all these separate different worlds, the, the, the Western world, the uh, Western Americana, the preppy, the waspy, the, 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 the black, the purple label, yeah. you know. And he, uh, I think women kind of approach clothes more that way as like, who am I feeling like today? Mm. What character do I want to be? So that's, that's more of a women's mindset uh, traditionally. And I think men find comfort in uniforms and they find comfort in, you know, gravitating towards the same things that they know work for them. And I think after a decade, the reason I think Ralph Lauren did all that stuff is I think he reached a level of mastery yeah. that said, you know, I've, I've got all of the fundamentals down and now it's just time to go have fun and play. Yeah. And, you know, when you watch that, uh, Beatles documentary Get Back I think you're also witnessing that happen with these four Brits that reached a level of mastery and now it was just them sitting around a studio going let's just have fun and play and show up every day and, and let the, the muse kind of meet us where we're at I you know when I really started thinking about 
the when I really started thinking in a cinematic way, I realized and I and I received a lot of freedom from the fact that oh, I need to develop more characters to fill out this world. It gave me freedom to play around and like kind of start to break and challenge what people thought Effie Castleberry is and was. Uh, and, and that started to happen, that started to happen like with the blog Unabashedly Prep. I'd get a lot of pushback from like real wasp yeah, like hardliners. They're like, that's not prep. You yeah. know, when I would show somebody's style on the street and I'm like, I know it's not, but this is what I believe to be a little bit of the new. Mm. And, and, and then with Evie Castleberry, I was like thinking, I'm going to blow the doors off of what anyone, like if you think Evie Castleberry's prep, you've got another thing coming to you because it's not, it's, it's grounded and rooted in that, but it's going to go a lot of different directions. Mm. And it's all still going to kind of orbit tailored clothing. Yeah, But I'm going to show you different ways to wear tailored clothing because we live in a world now where people are not wearing suits to work. And if you're going to build a business where you're just selling suits for the guy who's going to wear a suit straight up, you're really limiting yourself to people who are interested in wearing tailored clothing but not in a two-piece or three-piece suit. And so my thought is, how, how many different ways can I show tailored clothing worn with other pieces of clothing that are icons and, and, and timeless pieces in the pantheon of, of menswear? Mm. Uh, and so that's just, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of having a lot of fun with all this stuff. And all those different uniforms are, are me, yeah. and which is really fun because I can kind of play around with that. And you're allowing yourself to have different versions of you, which I think is really interesting. I think your point about fluidity and guys struggling with a fluid sense of identity is absolutely valid. And actually, it's something I've struggled with myself over the last year or so. Yeah, well, I've seen you start to lean into some cowboy boots, and like, <laughs> I love to see it. You know, as a as a fellow, as a, not as a fellow, as a as a Texan, um, I was appreciating that. I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. Yeah, the Cuban heels, I'm really enjoying at the moment, and mm-hmm. uh, I've sort of been through a bit of a '70s phase, and now I'm very much in a sort of an '80s faux. Uh, Sloan Ranger phase, which I'm really enjoying. I, but, love, I love the Sloan Ranger phase. Well, we're going to come on to it, so that's ideal. But um, something that also happens, which I've been talking to about uh, with a few people, is I still have in my head, there is one Alex Fekovich. I have one identity and one sense of self. And what increasingly is happening in my life at the moment, and I think it's prob- there's probably a little bit of pandemic-induced uh, self-doubt and instability in there, is I sort of struggle with journalist Alex versus podcaster Alex versus consultant strategist Alex. I sometimes feel like they can't all be the same person, and at some point in my life I'm going to have to choose between doing creative agency work and being a journalist and, and never the twain shall meet. So I'm, I struggle with, in a very male kind of way, this idea that there can only be one kind of me professionally. But then that also filters through to my wardrobe. And if I, want, if I wake up on a Monday and I just want to wear a very, very trad English Savile Row type sports coat and flannels and a roll neck and feel very trad, 
I then the next day I might want to throw on like a Bodie overshirt and a top coat and cowboy boots and some ripped as hell 60s biggie denim whatever I actually increasingly feel I'm I'm getting more comfortable with the idea of doing that but it's taken me a long time and probably all of the years of doing this podcast and talking to guys like you to start to realize that actually I can be sort of Savile Row quite trad Alex on a Monday and then sort of slightly mental East London Alex on a Tuesday and go through the week and be different kinds of of the self Uh, but it's not a comfortable thing to do it's definitely not something men do naturally yeah I you know I think that there's an important step that has to happen before you start kind of dipping your toe in all these other uh, kind of aesthetics or looks or or different pieces and that there's got to be a certain level of competency that has been developed on how to put together an outfit on what looks good for you on the history of what's happened but who and what came before you you've got to have historical context these things Mm. you've got to have style muses i also think you've got to have a sense of self like I've, it's taken me, you know, most of my twenties. I'm now 28, going into 29, uh, to get comfortable with my own sense of self and comfortable enough to be like, Do you know what, sod it. I'm going to wear a really trad three-button hacking jacket today, and then tomorrow I'm going to wear cowboy boots or Adidas or whatever, or you know, whatever I want to. You you have to be confident enough, I think, and secure enough to to present different versions of yourself to the world and be okay moving through different contexts where people will react to you differently. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of that, um, you know, in terms of where we're both coming from, when you kind of root your identity in the confession that, hey, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm a fashion kid. Mm. Like, I love clothes. When you kind of settle in on that, I think it frees you up to just embrace all of fashion and go, it's all informative they're all pieces and 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 uh, they're all pieces of the puzzle that i can engage with and interact with at any point in time and there will always be something new to discover because i can't possibly know it all yeah and and that's to me what's really exciting because i'm discovering a shop perfecto which you know it's been around you know for 60 70 70 years i'm discovering a shop perfecto at the age of 40 for the first time you know yeah, and you know somebody may have discovered that for the first time at fifteen. Yeah, and then but, they lived and, in it. But then at forty, they're discovering a suit for the first time. Yeah, but the point is, there's always going to be something new. But you have to, I, you know, I think I think it's very important to root yourself in a certain particular uh, identity first, and then from that place of confidence, you can now kind of go out. Yeah, and, and various different uh, branches of that tree that you've kind of rooted yourself in. Yeah. Um, and and start to play uh, in, in a way that you know you still feel like yourself. Um, and you know because when I when like I said before the the thing that kind of ties all those little unif- the thing that ties all the uniforms that I'm kind of experimenting and playing with is that I'm always at some point wearing some sort of Effie Castleberry piece of tailored clothing. Mm. You know that's the tie that binds for me and allows me to to know I'm grounded still in in what i'm like wearing Mm. in my mind Mm. yeah it's uh, there's so much in there that i think is really pertinent and fascinating that the first thought that triggered is i also think 
you're right, when you reach that certain point of confidence, of self-confidence and kind of self-understanding, it is quite healthy, and this has actually come up on the podcast before, to feel uncomfortable for a while breaking out into new territory and to accept that it is going to feel uncomfortable to experiment for a while. I, so I really like that idea. That's a very valuable um, observation. But I also really like your use of the word fashion there um, because I've been on a similar journey myself over the course of, of this project over the last three years. Um, you know, when I came into it, I was very much, I'm a style writer, I don't do fashion, I don't engage with fashion. Style and fashion are very different things. And I think quite a lot of um, our listeners probably feel the same way and, and come at this from a style perspective. But over the past couple of years in doing more magazine work for various different titles and engaging with a lot more catwalk and runway and high fashion for the first time, I have really have realised that there is a huge pleasure to be found in, again you know, wearing, I don't know, hashtag menswear, quote-unquote classic menswear on one day and full look Celine the next day. Yeah. Or, you know, I, or I, mixing I, the two. Yes, yes. You know, that's that's what's interesting. And I think with this pandemic, people are really dying to get dressed again. Mm. You know, when they go out, I think hopefully there's a sense of occasion to even go get a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it to- you know. totally is. I mean, I I bumbled around my little sort of sleepy neighbourhood in northeast London between lockdowns, throwing on every single piece of tailoring I possibly could to go to the dry cleaners <laughs> or to go, you know, to go to the supermarket because it was the only place to wear it <laughs> for a while. Um, it's so insightful, really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's you know, I like that I like that distinction between fashion and style and. You know, having spent the last 10 years in, in that sort of insular menswear silo, yeah, uh, that word style was very much um, kind of latched onto yeah. as like, you know. Anti-fashion. Anti-fashion, you know. And I always came into the made-to-measure business knowing that I had a bigger love for fashion and, and I wanted to embrace that. And so I knew that I could be, I knew I could be, and I wanted to carve out this space in the, in the made-to-measure suiting world that I was more the fashion guy in that space. Yeah. And I always wanted to develop product beyond the suit. You know, I love knitwear. I started uh, a shoe line. And I did all those things because I want to be wearing those things myself. And it just further supported the idea of the of the head to toe look that I wanted to continue to press into, because mm. um, because I, I made to measure for me is a means to an end, and that end is more ready to wear. Yeah, you know the the the, the end goal is to have a street level shop. Right now we're sitting in my atelier that's by appointment only, and it's wonderful. But like I want to be in a shop on the street level so that anybody can walk in. And go, where in the world am I? This is really fun. Uh, we have great music playing. We have hopefully a, a coffee bar and a barista there, you know, doing stuff. And um, and you don't necessarily have to buy anything. Just like come in, enjoy, you know, meet, meeting people, taking care of people. And then hopefully you'll be inspired to, to take something away. 
Yeah, and be in the universe for a little while. Yeah. Well, let's come back round to that, because uh, we touched on influences and references earlier. And you've mentioned uh, Wes Anderson, who I, which I, I think a lot of um, people who are familiar with you will kind of recognise in your work. But what else is there? I was sort of keen to sort of hear where you're, you're, drawing, you're drawing inspiration from and what you're referencing at the moment. Yeah, you know, David Hockney is a big one. You know, artist, period. Andy Warhol. You're wearing a sort of a Hockney-esque rugby I'm, today. I'm wearing a hawk. This is one of the rugbies that we're about to introduce. Wicked. That, uh, Wo- you know, woven here in New York uh, ah. from wool crepe, and and wool crepe is a is a yarn that Saint John, uh, which is a women's wear brand, is really well known for using, and that's what kind of made it exciting for me to use. Was like I, I want to wear wool crepe because it has this luster to it that that feels a little a little luxury to me, I suppose. Um, and so David Hockney would be one. Andy Warhol's another. You know, when I thought about, uh, gosh, it took me, it took me eight years after I got to New York, to like embrace some of my Texas roots again. Mm. You know, and I started when uh, when Raph Simmons sent down some Western wear for Calvin Klein. I think the first season he was there, two twenty seventeen maybe. Um, he sent Kai Gerber down the runway in like a silk western with boots and like the moment i saw that i was like ooh that feels that feels really good and it makes me miss home and so i i started wearing boots again and i and i had to think about okay well what does that look like for me what does that look like for Effie Castleberry and and i immediately turned to Andy Warhol whatever he would mix that preppy Brooks Brothers White Oxford with the rep stripe tie and the and the and the preppy navy blazer with his with the cowboy boots and the and the tighter fitting boot cut jean um, and the clear eyeglass frames. And I thought, yeah, this is I'm gonna yeah, this feels really fun. Yeah. This feels fun. And then I, you know, uh, eight months later I was next thing you know, I was wearing an open road Stetson with another rig that I was doing. <laughs> I started making Western shirts and snap button fronts. And, and so that was a kind of a fun rabbit hole to go down. And a lot of that was attributed to just me really, you know, having and seeing Andy Warhol as this kind of fashion muse for myself. Um, and, and, and to your point earlier, you know, talking about being multifaceted, when you look at somebody like Andy, he did a bunch of stuff mm. he had his hands in a lot of stuff and to me that always gives me a little uh, comfort to know that yes you being being a swiss army knife is is great and almost necessary in this day and age yeah um yeah bjorn borg huge one obviously the sport of tennis uh is, is huge i think um david bowie even yeah. There's another one. Yeah, I could see that. Jacques Cousteau, uh, another kind of adventurer that, that I kind of latch on to. Um, yeah, I mean, I... And where does the... I wanted to sort of touch on styling a little bit before we wrap up. So where where does the... That sort of... We've talked about it before. We talked about it for the FT, the kind of high-low look, that idea of it's like I'm wearing like Adidas-esque striped 
sweatpants and like a you know a track top with a sports coat and a beanie and all these different things yeah how did that sort of come to be that sort of high low look you know that that's something i really learned uh, at ralph lauren right you know just that combination of sportswear with tailored clothing we were uh, immersed in it there and it was you know a big part of my job there was what we call rigging that's basically outfit creation. Okay. You know, and so that's that's another kind of skill that I've loved continuing to hone. And, you know, we would be stuck in a concept room with dress forms and just tons of vintage Ralph Lauren, vintage clothing, some of it vintage Ralph, just trying to make these characters for the new season, uh, for the concept that we had come up with, you know, whether it was like Dartmouth ski, you know, what, what are these characters wearing? Yeah. Uh, we would usually have some photo references that would kind of help guide us, but that really came from that place. And like, when you think about college kids, college kids are kind of where that starts because they've got like, they've got all the necessary components. You know, when, when we're talking about college kids, we're, I'm talking about college kids on, on Ivy league campuses uh, from like Ivy style days, right? The 1960s, mm. they've got, they've got the formal wear, they've got the sports wear because that's just part of their life. You know, they, they've got formals to go to, they've got their classes to go to. And now all of a sudden they're combining chinos with tweed blazers. They've come back from war and they've embraced these, you know, this rough wear, these military-inspired pieces. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's always kind of come from there. And then when you watch the, when you watch a film like The Royal Tenenbaums, you see all of this stuff in different characters. So you've got one character in a red Adidas tracksuit. Yeah. Now he's not he's not necessarily combining that with any tailoring, but then you contrast that with uh, his father, Royal Tenenbaum, he's in a double-breasted gray flannel chalk-stripe suit the, the entire movie. Mm. And so the idea was like, in my mind, I just started mashing a lot of those uniforms together and and just started having a lot of fun with it. Um, but, you know, like my, my roots in like soccer, you know, I played soccer my entire youth growing up. So... Like things like Adidas are very nostalgic for me. You know, these things feel uh, just as much as cowboy boots feel like home to me. So does Adidas sportswear, Umbro, and you know, all these brands that 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 I kind of lived in as a kid after after school. Um, I just love combining all those things together, and you know, I think that's I think that's the way forward for tailored clothing. I think that's how tailored clothing survives. Is is showing it worn in different ways, breaking it up, twisting it, you know, making it out of new fabrications, new silhouettes. You know, right now I think we are we're we're moving into a really exciting period in menswear where everything is starting to loosen back up. You know, the 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 ease and the ease in, in garments is starting to feel a little bit more like the '90s, which I'm particularly enjoying. Um, so I think that's, that keeps it fun and interesting. Brilliant. The nineties are coming. I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling that as well. Those sort of bit, that big baggy roomy fluid. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. And I, the thing is, I think that that can, at this stage 
of where we're at in menswear, that can exist simultaneously with the thing that came before it. Mm. You know, with the more crop pant and, you know, I can still do both of those things at the same time. Mm. And that's the, that's the beauty is that I, we don't have to sit here and just drive in one lane. We can have a very wide eight-lane highway where all these things can exist at the same time. And I think that's really fun. Well, I love that. I think I also think that's a superb note to end on, Fred. So my last question for you is just what's coming next for Effie Castlebury? Are you working on anything in particular that's worth teasing here? Yeah, I think, you know, I love doing... I, I, I'm introducing some new knitwear, which I think is extremely fun. And these rugbies. And these rugbies um, are part of that. There's the, Fred's wearing a beautiful sort of emerald green and bright cobalt blue sort of hoop strike rugby and this very interesting knit crepe I'm, yeah. I'm excited about it and then uh you know we top it off with mother of pearl buttons and like a full knit collar um you know ex- exciting to show it being worn under tailoring uh or with just tailored trousers or you know i think it's a really kind of what's exciting about something like this is that these are all made to order and they are available in perpetuity Mm. You know, there's, these are things are seasonless. I, I kind of continue to want to just encourage that in people. Um, releasing new shoes every month, you know, every other month uh, in, in a pre-order type model. And then, you know, I, I think for spring, summer, we have some fun stuff coming out, you know, like in my mind, I just want to be wearing a, an ivory two-piece suit the entire summer. Mm. Tom Wolf. Yeah. Cy Twombly. These are the guys I want to be like, I just want to wear that suit. Double-breasted, single-breasted, three-piece even. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the three-piece suit to come back. Mm. Wicked. We'll leave on that hot take. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Fred, thank you so much for carving some time out to chat to us and for welcoming us up to your atelier. I'm thrilled to be here. I've wanted to see this place in the flesh for years, uh, having sort of... Uh, gazed upon it through the, the in window of Instagram. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure having you guys here. Wicked. There you are, gang. A conversation about creativity and style with Mr. Fred Castlebury. Let us know what you thought. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps others to discover the podcast and propels us up the charts. Thank you to my producers at Birch, as always, and to our sound editor and theme music composer, Joe Boyd. Have a wonderful week to come, and I'll see you back here very soon.